It is such a privilege to be with you here at Hoffmantown this morning. Uh, a week ago, well, actually less than a week ago, I was in Africa, but a week ago I was preaching in Africa, and it's uh, so special to come back to my home church and to be here with you all. I, I felt so honored when Pastor Lamar invited me to share today, and I'm excited to share this message in particular. It's one that God has been using in my life this past year. I shared this passage originally with one of our partner ministries back in January, just a short devotion with them, and some of the truths here have continued encouraging me throughout this past year of confusion and chaos. Uh, probably a lot of you would agree there have been some interesting times. Sometimes you, you look at the news and you think, I, I can't believe what I'm watching. It's, it's hard to believe this is actually happening. And sometimes you might come away feeling a bit shell-shocked, right? Well, I want you to know that even in these times of chaos and confusion, we have hope, and not just hope. We have a purpose and a calling in our world today. And so this message is going to encourage you in your calling. The title is Continuing Your Calling in a Context of Confusion. Now, I hope you got the compass when you came in. There are going to be five different P's in our message today. You can follow along and take notes. And I pray that what we go over today will continue encouraging you long after this service is done. So we're living in some chaotic times, right? The, the, the prophet Isaiah in 59.14 said, Truth is stumbled in the streets. And I feel like that's true of our day and age as well. Yet in this time... We have a calling. In this time, Hoffmantown Church has a calling. In this time, you have a calling. If you're still breathing, God still has a purpose for you on this earth. So no matter what it looks like around you, I want you to know today that you are here for a reason. That this church is here for a reason. And that our best days lie ahead of us. God has great work for each and every one of us in this room and for this church. Today we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul in a time in his life when I think he was facing chaos and confusion. It's in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. You're welcome to turn there with me. We'll read it in just a minute. But he was coming out of some confusing times, no doubt, and he was beginning to launch into a new era of ministry, and there was a lot going on that I think was leaving him feeling a little shell-shocked, maybe like you and I might feel today. But in the middle of that, he had a calling, and God revealed that to him, and we're going to see how that plays out in these verses. Now, before we read that passage, I want to remind you, many different times Paul invites his readers to follow his example. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, in Philippians 3.17, and 2 Thessalonians 3.9. So as we look at Paul's example in this passage, I want to be mindful of his request that we follow his example. And I think there are five things here that we can follow as we trust God with our circumstances and continue in our calling in this day and age. 
So I'm going to go ahead and read Acts, verses six, uh, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10 here. Follow along with me if you have your Bible. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I don't know how many times I read over this passage, thought that's strange, and just kept going. You ever do that? But God doesn't put anything in his word on accident or in vain. Every word has a divine purpose. And there's a lot in this, so stick with me. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage. Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you that even in chaotic and confusing times, you have an incredible purpose for Hoffmantown Church. I thank you that you have a purpose and a calling for every single person in this room today. God, I pray that as we work through this passage, that you would encourage us with the truth of your word and that we would leave this place with a renewed sense of our calling and a renewed commitment to all that you would do in and through us in our world today. Jesus, we give you this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul, like I said, I think was going through a time of confusion and uncertainty. Uh, he had a vision that he was hoping for the future, and it had to deal with his past. Right before this, in Acts 15.36, we read that Paul had wanted to retrace his and Barnabas's first missionary journey. It makes sense. They had some good times. He wanted to go back and encourage the believers. He would have been tempted to live in the past just like many of us are today. Remember the glory days. Remember when, when things were different, when things were bigger, when it was easy to reach people with the gospel. Paul probably felt some of those same feelings, but that's not where he is in this passage, okay? He had also had relational conflicts and situations come up that no doubt were weighing on him. The Jerusalem council had just happened where the whole ministry to the Gentiles was in question. Then shortly after that, he and Barnabas had split Barnabas had been with him from the beginning of his ministry. Barnabas had introduced him to the apostles in Jerusalem, and now he's alone without Barnabas. I imagine in this time, he felt alone and confused and uncertain of his calling. He had some future expectations. He thought, maybe we'll go into the province of Asia, the, the Roman province of Asia, which is now in western Turkey, not Asia, the continent that we know of today, or even northeast into Bithynia. He had some plans, but as we saw in this passage, the Holy Spirit said no to those things, okay? So his future expectations aren't panning out either. And then in the middle of all of it, there's this threat of persecution and opposition. Uh, we're seeing more of that in our day and age, but friends, across the globe, Christians are facing intense persecution, okay? Paul was too. Shortly before this, he had been in the region southeast of where he is now, and he'd faced persecution. He was stoned and left for dead. And now he had just gone back into that same region where he picked up Timothy, 
He was no stranger to persecution, and I know he knew that more was still to come. Yet in this context of confusion and chaos, where he didn't necessarily know what was coming next, he did not back down from the calling. He followed God closely, and he allowed God to lead him in his calling. And that's the first P. There are five Ps. The first is the pilot. The pilot. He's following the pilot. The pilot here is the Holy Spirit. Remember verses 6 through 7. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So he's following closely what the Spirit is saying. Let me tell you about a time I followed the wrong pilot. I love to hunt. Uh, Mitch and I are going to be hunting in about three weeks together. Can't wait. But several years back, I was hunting in the mountains behind Purgatory Resort in Durango. Aaron and I are from Durango. And I had shot an elk that afternoon. And I had the joy of packing it out in the middle of the night. <laughs> Some of you have been there. So I'm in the dark with my headlamp trying to find this elk. And I couldn't find it. So I pull out my GPS thinking this pilot will guide me to the elk. Pull it up, and it says my elk is more than 200 miles away. <laughs> I said, this is the wrong pilot. <laughs> Luckily, I found the elk and got out of there. Hey, friends, in our society, we can listen to the wrong GPS. we got to get our minds on God's word and allow his spirit to use his word to guide us in times of confusion and chaos. And that's what Paul is doing here. Now, the Spirit of Jesus, you might have caught that in verse 7 there, is the Holy Spirit. You could look at Acts 14, 26, Galatians 4, 6, or Philippians 1, 19 for more on that. But they are following the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see a map here. They are out in the middle of this region, this kind of western Turkey today. They had not been able to go southeast, retracing that first missionary journey. Now they're kind of out in the middle of Phrygia and Galatia, wondering what in the world is next. Paul thinks, let's go southwest into Asia. The Holy Spirit says no. Let's go northeast into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit says no. He's probably stuck somewhere around here. Here's a picture of this region today, thinking, what is next? He had wanted to retrace. That's not happening. He's picked up Timothy and now they're wandering through here wondering, what is next? I'm sure he was a little bit confused. You know, the people in this region had heard the gospel at Pentecost. There wasn't a lot of work going there. You can read that in Acts 2.10. Paul later spends some time encouraging believers in this region. You can read that in Acts 18. But this isn't where he was called to stay right now. God was leading him. The Holy Spirit was leading him in a certain direction. And I thank God, and you will too, by the end of this message, that he followed closely. The Holy Spirit was leading him. Friends, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit leads us today. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus mentions that in John 14, 15, and 16. We have God's Word, the complete and errant, infallible Word of God today. And the Holy Spirit takes His Word, and He illuminates it for the believer... And he leads us in the truth and he guides us just like he guided Paul through this desolate region. In the context of a confusing society 
we need to stand strong in his word. And we need to allow him to guide us. This is the truth that we base our lives on. This does not change even when society does. This is sufficient even when everything around us seems chaotic. In John 16, 13, we have this promise that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.13 that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And that knowledge of him comes from his word. So everything you need for life and godliness in the middle of confusing and chaotic times is right here in God's word, friends. And the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer can take this word and he can use it to lead you through the most uncertain times. So Paul is following the Holy Spirit closely, just as we need to be in our day and age, and the Holy Spirit is leading him to a very important place. And that's the second P, the place. Before I talk about the place, let me tell you about um, Aaron and I and how we found the right place. For us, the right place is uh, Hoffmantown Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Let me tell you how we found it, though. We moved from Durango, Colorado, like I mentioned a minute ago. When we first moved here, somebody said, why in the world would you go from heaven to earth? <laughs> uh, friends, we've, we've been so blessed uh, here. And God has just worked in our family. We've built some wonderful relationships with some of you right here in this church today. This has been heaven for us on earth. It's been so special. But we followed God to this place just like God was leading Paul and leading him to a place. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses, uh, well, I'm going to read verse 8 here. Okay. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Okay, so let's get that map up there and look at uh, Troas, where they're at now. They funnel eastward over to Troas. So they weren't able to go southeast. They weren't able to go southwest. They weren't able to go northeast. So kind of the natural direction is to go eastward towards Troas. The Holy Spirit was leading them there for a purpose. They didn't go back southeast into that first journey, but they end up going straight over there east to Troas. And there's a lot that's important there. I want to show you a picture of Troas. This is the... Um, city associated with the Trojan War and Homer's writings, right? And it's a port to Europe, or it was in ancient times. And that's important for a reason, because it was a part of the plan that God was leading Paul to, right? So Paul has been led by God to this important place where he would find the plan that God was about to reveal to him. So let's go ahead and read verse 9. The plan, that's the third P here. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they're here in the middle of Troas, an unknown area for him. And Paul receives this vision of this man from Macedonia over in what is now Europe, which was then unreached, calling and saying, come over here help us. I want to make a note here. Um, this is a divine calling, and sometimes we think, man, if I had that, I would respond, right? 
Well, the calling that we've received in his word is no less divine. (laughs) And it's no less important. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, reiterated elsewhere in Acts 1, 8 and other places, is no less divine. You could even think of that as our Macedonian call to go and make disciples of all nations. And friends, I just want you to know, just like that Macedonian man was calling out and imploring, help us, there are people around us today asking the same thing. Please come and help us. The climate has changed, friends. I know years ago, it seemed like there was a resistance to the gospel in many ways. And I would always encourage you and everybody in my sphere of influence that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus told us that. People are ready to hear the gospel whether they act like it or not. But right now, I believe that more than I ever have in my life. Uh, People all around us are reaching out. In the last year, we've seen people in, in random places trust Christ at grocery stores, restaurants, A few weeks ago, I was on a college campus in Socorro. We're out witnessing. Not one person that day didn't want to talk about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? An atheist told me, I'm an atheist, but I want to believe in God. I've talked to a thousand atheists, but I've never had that come up before. Okay, listen. The chaos in our world is, is definitely being felt by the church, but it's being felt by the unchurched as well. The pandemic the polarization of our world, so many different things are creating a sense of urgency in the lost for salvation. We ought not miss this opportunity, church. We ought not miss it. So just like Paul has this Macedonian man imploring him, come and help us, you could picture that today. Imagine your neighbors, your coworkers, your relatives, people that you go to school with, people that you shop with, The cashiers that check you out at the grocery store saying, please, come and help us. We need you. Many of them don't have the hope that we have, and they are calling out for that hope, just like this Macedonian man in Paul's vision. Picture him saying, come and help us. Look into those eyes and imagine him saying, come and help us. They're more like him today. Some of them are right here in our communities. Some of them are around the world. Last week in Africa, we did a conference. Whenever we do conferences, we train people. We take them out witnessing. They can apply what they're learning. More than 200 people trusted Christ in that application time. That sounds awesome, but it doesn't just happen in Africa. God is working globally. We get to be a part of it here. We get to be a part of it here. There there are even hundreds of thousands of villages in India that don't know of Jesus. The grandparents didn't know of Jesus. The great-grandparents didn't know of Jesus. The children don't know of Jesus. Their great-grandkids aren't going to know about Jesus unless someone takes the gospel to them. This same call, this great commission call, is here for us today in our community, in our country, and throughout this world. The gospel changed my life, and it's changing lives around the world today. We've taught you that one-minute witness. I always like to encourage people to learn it. It's a great way to share your faith. Mine goes like this. There was a time in my life when fear, sadness, and doubt really controlled who I was. And even though I was very young, those feelings were very real. And I'd been going to a good Christian church, but I did not understand what it was all about until one day when it finally clicked. 
and I realized that God loved me so much that he came and died for my sins and rose again so that by believing in him, I might be saved. When I realized what Jesus had done for me, I put my trust in him as Savior and Lord, and he changed me. He turned my fear to courage, my sadness to joy, and my doubt to confidence. If it hadn't been for Jesus, my life would be very empty, but because of him, it's very full. That's my short one-minute testimony. I can't tell you how many times I've shared that with somebody and then asked, would you like to know how Jesus could do that in your life? And they say yes. Friends, they're all around us. And that gospel that changed my life is changing lives around the world. Some of you in this room today might not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And before we end, I will give you an opportunity to respond to him. And this same gospel will change your life like it has changed mine and many in this room. Okay, this leads me to the fourth P, okay? The fourth P is the people. The people. This is important. There's a lot here. I'm going to read the first part of verse 10. And there's a lot that I want to catch here. So 10 part A. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Did you catch that? There's a switch there. Luke is writing this passage. Before this passage, in the first 15 chapters, he's used the third person more than 300 times. He's used we a few times, but referencing other people's quotations. Okay? And then all of a sudden here in Troas, Luke joins the team and begins using the first person. We did this. We went here. That's an important part to catch here because Luke becomes an instrumental part of Paul's team. And he ends up writing, and I'll share more on this in a minute, more of the New Testament than anyone, content-wise. Okay? So something really big is happening. God is building the team. God is bringing the people alongside Paul that are going to be instrumental in the plan. So God is building the team you know, Luke sticks with Paul till the very end. We see that in 2 Timothy 4, uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 4 11. Uh, Like I said, he writes more of the New Testament content-wise, percentage-wise than anyone, and more of the Bible than anyone but Moses and Ezra. This absolutely essential part of the team might never have been met had Paul gone off southwest or southeast or northeast. They might never have even connected here. What would we be missing today? if God hadn't connected those dots, right? So as we go through times of uncertainty and confusion, our lives are in God's hands, and we can trust that he is working through our circumstances to bring us to the right place at the right time to connect us with the right people so that we can walk out the plan that he put us for right on this earth. God was building Paul's team. Uh, in Acts 16:1, Paul had picked up Timothy right, down uh, to the southeast. After this time, we see others joining Paul that might not have joined had he gone off on his own way and not followed what God was leading him to do closely. Uh, He meets Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth in 18. He meets Erastus from Corinth. We hear about him in Acts 19. We, I got to show you the Erastus inscription. I took this picture in Corinth. Um, I've been in uh, Greece four times, I think, and every time I tried to go to Corinth, 
they were striking, and uh, there were different things where I couldn't get down to Corinth. So the last time I was in Greece for 36 hours, I had to present an academic paper, and I had a rental car this time because I was there for such a short amount of time, and I told Aaron, I am going to drive to Corinth myself and finally see this place. And so I made it down the morning of my flight. She said, you better not miss that flight. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I needed to find this. I knew it was there. I'd get there. I had no idea how to find it. So I'm scrambling all over the ruins of Corinth, and I finally found the Erastus inscription, which references Erastus, one of Paul's helpers. Amazing. Friends, the, the reliability of Scripture is just overwhelming, and we see it in archaeology and history and science and so many different ways. But we read about uh, Erastus. I won't go too deep into all of it here, but the inscription there references his edelship. The edels oversaw public venues and events and monies. And in Romans 16, Paul says about Erastus from Corinth that he was the city's manager. Isn't that interesting? So Paul tells us that he had this high status in the city of Corinth which completely corroborates with what we see there in that inscription. Very, very, very awesome. Not surprising, though, but awesome. Paul also, Paul also meets Epaphras in Ephesus after this initial time of confusion, potentially. That led to the Colossian church, through which he met Philemon. You can see all the pieces starting to line up. So many books of the New Testament that we're familiar with. So many people whose names we recognize. So many stories that we look at in the book of Acts and just admire. But so much of it happened after this time where Paul, no doubt, was going through some confusion and uncertainty. But he followed the Lord into God's will, and God did great things. So Paul and his team say yes. They say yes. We're all in on the vision. They set sail. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But they set sail for Europe. They sail to uh, Samothrace, which is an island out in, in the sea there, and then to Neapolis, which is in northern Greece today, and they start marching down through Macedonia, just like God had called them to. But before we talk about that, I'm going to go through some of the places they visit in a minute, just because I think it's outstanding what God did through Paul, as Paul simply followed him closely, even in a time of confusion. But the last P, number five, if you're taking notes, is the purpose <clears throat> the purpose. See, we read here about a purpose. I'm going to read it in the second part of verse 10. I left off after the beginning. So concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Their purpose was to preach the gospel. They never got away from this church. They knew their purpose. Even though the times were confusing, they didn't get away from the purpose that God called them to. And they concluded, hey, we are called to Macedonia for this gospel purpose. That is why we are here. Imagine the excitement they must have felt launching into the sea, getting on that ship, going to a new destination. Maybe you've gone to a new country. I remember the first time I went to Africa. It's like I've dreamt about Africa my whole life. I, I, I stepped foot on the ground there, and I, I felt overjoyed that I'm finally standing in Africa. I can't imagine what Paul was feeling as they set out for this new area with this divine purpose of preaching the gospel. Uh, friends, the purpose is the same for us today. Let me tell you a, a quick story about uh, purpose. 
So, like I've said a couple times so far, we used to live in Durango, Colorado. And driving from Durango up north towards Purgatory, and we drove that hundreds of times. Our ministry had a lodge up there, and we constantly drove that road. We would always pass this little property, and you might know of this property if you've driven it much. And the guy had several different golf holes, on private little golf holes on his property. And they were kept meticulously. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Okay, he kept it perfect. Perfectly watered, perfectly mowed. Every time I passed by there for almost a decade and a half, it was meticulously maintained, in the summer at least. It was beautiful. Never one time, ever, did I see a single person playing golf there. Uh, friends, it can be like that for us. We can talk about this Great Commission. We can read about the Great Commission. We can put it in our purpose, mission, and vision statements. We can put it in our slogans and sing praise and worship songs about it. And we can listen to it on the radio. But it has to become a lifestyle for each of us individually. And I thank God that this, for decades, has been the purpose of this church. This church has a Great Commission legacy. There are works around the globe that have been launched from this church. Get excited about that. And we're not done yet. (laughs) We're not done yet. There is more good to come. And I'm excited to be a part of it. So Paul and team realized their Great Commission purpose, and they set out with conviction. They concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Regardless of any confusion they'd been through, they had not lost sight of that purpose. Paul knew his purpose in Acts 9 and Acts 26, where he's recounting his personal testimony. He talks about how God called him to this purpose right from the start. So Paul knew this was his calling. In 1 Timothy 2, 4-7, he reiterates that to Timothy. We see him mentioning it elsewhere also. He was convinced of his calling, And even though there had been times of confusion, he never got away from the calling. Friends, it has to be the same for us today. (laughs) The world we live in is not the world of yesterday, or of last year, or of 20 years ago, or of the glory days. It's not the same. But guess what? Our purpose is. (laughs) We are here to be lights in a dark world, just like Paul encouraged the Philippians to shine brightly in that dark world. This is our calling, friends. So Paul had followed the pilot closely, right? And he'd followed him to a place. He had received the plan. He'd connected with the right people. He was reminded of his purpose. And he sets out, and look what happens. This is exciting. First, they go to Philippi, okay? They travel a little bit south into Philippi. God does great things. Lydia is the first convert in Europe. How exciting. Someday you're going to get to meet her in heaven. Won't that be exciting? You're the first European that trusted Jesus. It'll be exhilarating. That's the river that she was baptized in outside of Philippi. Paul and Silas are imprisoned there in Philippi in this jail. You can see the ruins today. God miraculously rescues them and continues them on their journey. They go into Thessalonica in Acts 17, right? They go into Thessalonica, going further south. Uh, They enter town with a gospel focus. They they enter this beautiful area. Aaron and I have been here. It's gorgeous. 
They enter with a gospel focus, and then the opponents round up opposition in the marketplace, which you're looking at now, some of the ruins of that marketplace. They chase him out of town, okay? He does a short little hop over to Berea. You know what happens there. These Bereans, they're much more receptive than the Thessalonians had been, right? They receive the word. We read about that in Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. They respond positively. I was shocked by this. There's a monument to Paul and Berea. I thought Paul would be disgusted. (laughs) He would want a monument to Jesus and Berea, not a monument to himself. But that's the monument to Paul and Berea. Uh, The Thessalonians come up, chase him out of town. Does he give up? No. Opposition, 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 opposition. He says, I'm not giving up. You'd think he would think, I need to change my strategy. People keep rejecting me. No, I'm not changing the strategy. The gospel's my focus. I don't water it down. The Lord is my God. I follow him, not societal norms. I keep following him closely, sharing the only hope this world has known or ever will know with the world, regardless of the opposition. From Thessalonica, he travels down towards Athens. This incredible sermon of the unknown God is preached right here on this rock in Athens, below the Acropolis. From Athens, he continues on to Corinth. Great things happen in Corinth. God does amazing things. There's persecution there, too. You know, uh, the Bema is the judgment seat, right? Paul's dragged before the Bema there, the physical one, not the heavenly one, of course. He's uh, released by Gallio there. You can actually see that same uh, judgment area today in Corinth. They have it. They even have a little sign saying Bema across the front of it. It's exciting. But throughout this whole time, God is directing Paul. Ministry is happening. Churches are being born. Many of the books that we cherish in the New Testament get written to churches that Paul meets on this journey that he might never have gone to had he not followed the Lord closely previously in Acts 16. Okay? He goes on to Ephesus, finally gets into the province of Asia. I can't imagine how excited he was. I think it's about three years later now compared to when he first wanted to go there. But now he's there in God's timing. There's very fruitful ministry there again, but also persecution again. It seems like that's protocol wherever he goes. This is a picture of Ephesus today. Some of the ruins, Paul probably walked up that street to minister there. Check this out. 11% of the Bible was written by or to people or churches met after Acts 16.10. Isn't that amazing? 11% of the Bible. And 49 to 53% of the New Testament, depending on the authorship of Hebrews, was written by or to people or churches met after Acts 16.10. Isn't that outstanding? Thank God Paul followed closely, right? Thank God he wasn't led by his confusion. Thank God he didn't get confused and freak out and say, I'm shell-shocked and I'm just going to wallow in it. Thank God, he said, I am the Lord's servant and I'm following him closely and walking out the purposes and the calling that he has for me. He didn't let his past experiences or his memories of the golden days stop him from what God was doing in the future. He said, I'm the Lord's. He didn't let relational conflicts stop him 
from following God into the future. He didn't let his expectations of what the future should look like stop him from following the Lord into the future that God had planned. He didn't let the threat of persecution or opposition from his society stop him from his calling. He walked confidently in the Lord, just as we are called to do today. He was all in on what God was doing in the present. He wasn't looking backward. He was looking straight at Jesus. And God has called us to do the same. So friends, we are living in some crazy times. No doubt about it. And it's okay to feel shell-shocked. I was talking to my dad last night. And he kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, It's okay to feel shell-shocked. But guess what? The Holy Spirit, he can comfort you. He can encourage you. He can lead you in the truth. And he will guide you into the purpose that he put you here for. And he's going to do the same for our church. So now is not the time to panic. Our God is capable of this challenge. He is completely powerful. And he has not left us. We have a calling, church. We have a calling. You have a calling. This next quote is uh, one that I rarely get through without tearing up and choking up. It's from William Booth, who co-founded the Salvation Army with his wife. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. That's our calling. So friends, as we begin to wrap up this morning, my question to you is, will you join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. That's our calling, church. To love him and to reflect him in this society, to share the hope that we have with the world. I want you to do something. If you're taking notes, (laughs) um, this is is the decision I want to bring you to today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything or to come up front, but I want you to personally engage with the Holy Spirit on this. Sometimes we have fears and insecurities. We don't think that we're capable, and that's fine. We're not. But he is capable in and through us. If you're ready to be all in on the purpose that he put you here for, if you're willing to join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world, if you're ready to say yes to that calling corporately as a church, to say we are here for this time, Let's do this. Let's share the hope of Jesus with our world today, regardless of what's going around with you or with the world. I just want to ask you to write down, I'm all in. Just write it down on your paper. I am all in. Or tell it to a friend. Don't leave this place without wrestling with God on this issue of purpose. And friends, assuming that many of you have said, I'm all in on that purpose, let's set sail towards our calling, and let's burn any ships that would keep us from it, individually and corporately. Let's do this. 
So continuing your calling in a context of confusion. The world is chaotic, but we have a purpose. Acts 17, 26 through 27, Paul, on that sermon of the unknown God in, in Athens, says that God has determined the times and the places that people live so that people would reach out and find him. It's no accident that you're alive in these crazy times, and it's no accident that you live where you do. God has strategically put us here for an incredible calling, both as a church and for you as an individual. The crazy times we live in are no excuse to back down from that calling. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, some men attempt to excuse their own negligence by blaming the times, right? The times are crazy. The times are crazy. He says, what have you and I to do with the times except to serve our God in them? Amen. If you're breathing, God has a purpose for you. All right, Paul and the team followed the pilot who brought them to the right place, who gave them the right plan, who connected them with the right people and empowered them for their purpose. We can do the same. Some of you might not know that pilot. Some of you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Okay? I want to speak to you right now. You don't yet know Jesus. And maybe you came to church today thinking, I need something. Maybe you're like that atheist. I don't believe in God, but I want to. Okay? Let me tell you something. The Bible says that you and I are sinners, but that God loves us so much that he came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sins and mine. The perfect sacrifice. And he did it so that anyone who would put their faith and trust in him would be forgiven. He rose from the dead, guaranteeing eternal life to all who trust in him. Friend, if you're at that place where you recognize that you're a sinner and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead to give you eternal life, if you're at that place where you know that you need to confess him alone, alone as Savior and Lord and to put your faith and trust in him, I want to invite you to do that with me in prayer right now. And a prayer isn't a magic trick or anything like that. What matters is your trust in the Lord. But a simple prayer is a great way to express your faith to God. So we can all just close our eyes right now and go ahead and pray with me, even quietly or in your head right now. If you've never put your trust in Christ, you could do that now. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Please come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen.